Hi there, welcome to episode 128. I hope that <laughs> did that uh, email ping just come in as I click play on this. How amateurish. Um, I'm going to talk about Dave Chappelle today. I don't know if anyone has seen the special yet. I presume everyone has because it's Netflix, so it's just everyone's got access to it. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was the most effective salvo against the kind of paranoid wokeness that's got everybody cowering, this kind of uh, vocal minority of uh, <clears throat> journalists and a kind of nexus between certain clickbait platforms and the kind of mob culture on Twitter uh, that is fueled by kind of virtue signaling and a sort of delight in their own power that they can that they can hold the majority of society uh, in their kind of grip, <clears throat> and he's taken a salvo against that. And I, I wrote a piece for my blog and, and review of it, and basically saying that he's speaking truth to power. All of these people talking about we're speaking truth to power because of Trump and Brexit, and you know, no, what a lot of these people, a lot of the people who are claiming to be speaking truth to power these days are actually the power, which is the irony of of the times that we live in, the kind of moral inversion of the time that we live in is that the very people who claim to be standing up for the sort of the Orwell civil rights tradition are actually now the, the aristocracy in power. And, the, and it's kind of, I always think of like the Iranian regime who appropriated the Iranian revolution. And now anybody that criticizes them or uh, is against them is anti-revolutionary when in actual fact the revolution had very little to do with those cunts. So I think of that as very much what's happened to the counterculture, the uh, the civil rights movement, that that noble tradition of Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and Martin Luther King and Joan Baez, um, has been appropriated by a sort of uh, metropolitan elite. Sorry to use that term, but it, it it's quite accurate. A kind of, or let's put it like this: um, a yuppie aristocracy is 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 how I would describe it. <clears throat> And they've appropriated, because they're definitely not conservatives, they're definitely not the old guard, they position themselves as the only alternative to that. When in actual fact, that old guard, as I've said before on this podcast, is kind of non-existent anyway. And that actually this, the use of uh, terminology of the counterculture is being used to secure a, a very real position of power. So like the Iranian imams, they're going on about how revolutionary they are, but in actual fact, they're very reactionary. So the whole cloak of revolution is guise for a reactionary uh, locus of power. And that's exactly what woke culture is in a kind of spiritual terms or intellectual terms. It's not a violent yet. Well, it is actually. I mean, Antifa is the sort of violent wing of it, and they are really genuinely veering into sort of terrorist behavior. Um, you know, and that you know, that none of this is in any way denying that there's a right wing or all the stuff I've talked about in the last couple of weeks after the El Paso shooting, the the white supremacists and stuff. I completely recognise that that's a thing, but one thing you cannot say is that those fucking fringe nutters have a locus of power in media and platforms. They just don't compare to some of the uh, the sort of. Um, intellectual or um, 
non-physical bullying that go, the psychic bullying that goes on through the woke platforms, uh, and it has obviously got you know it, it wields this sort of um, cancel culture like a, and I say this in my piece as a kind of terror, sort of a bit like the kind of Robespierrean terror. Um, and it just sort of hangs over everyone's head, especially people who are prominent and hold positions of prominence. Um, so the way that Dave Chappelle, I think, has has spoken truth to power is by basically, I don't know what the term is, it's not calling their bluff, but you kind of know what I mean. Like um, It's basically said, well, right, you're, go- you're coming after me anyway, so I'm just going to say what you don't want me to say anyway because no, it doesn't really make a difference in the long term, you're going to come after me anyway. And by doing that, he's not only stood up to the power and spoken truth to the power, he's sort of defanged them in some way. He's uh, kind of like, in you know, um, in, as opposed to, you know, you know the, the America will respond to certain terrorist attacks or certain assaults on their military power with... Uh, non-civilian attacks, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll attack sort of infrastructure and, and, and military bases. He's kind of done the sort of uh, psychological equivalent of that. He's he's attacked their ammunition base, which is this clickbait media. So he's he's sort of uh, neutralized to some great extent their, their, their capabilities in terms of just pure infrastructure. Because now if, and they have tried to do this, but it's so funny because... It's, a lot of this is subconscious stuff. So uh, what I feel he's done is that now, anytime someone's going to hear a click, see a clickbait headline about Dave Chappelle, it's not to say that it doesn't still carry some power with it, and that it's going to be in some way infringing on him in somehow, some sense. But the it, it comes now with a faint gloss of ridiculousness that uh, he's demonstrated that he can make all these jokes whether it's trans people, Chinese people, you know, just anything. He can make all these silly jokes and poke fun at everyone while obviously not being hateful. He's made that point unequivocally. And so any now any time someone's going to try and paint him that way, it's just going to look slightly desperate and slightly ridiculous. And I think that is the ultimate tactic he's got because he can't do anything else, really. He's, he, he can only uh, use comedy as a kind of judo move on them. And that's what he's done. It'd be interesting to know if Dave Chappelle's a chess player because it seems like that is what he's done. And, um, yeah, so... I think he's spoken truth to power is my central point about that. And uh, it's sort of exposed that power nexus. Tech companies... Uh, virtue mobs on social media and clickbait platforms. There's a kind of nexus there of uh, of cultural power that it has very little to do with institutional power. So it doesn't really matter who's in president, who's the president, or who's uh, Supreme Court justice, because those that nexus has, in some sense, more power over hearts and minds. So it can. So if you look at the Kavanaugh hearings. It's very difficult to know the truth of it because this clickbait media virtue mob outrage and tech company nexus was so powerful in in how it framed whatever was going on there. Uh, So 
he's not just exposed that Chappelle. He's he's I, I think he's I think he's severely dented it in a way where it would be very difficult for it to recover. And I think the the silent majority of every normal liberal minded people will now feel less threatened. I know I do. I mean, this is just a purely guttural thing. This is not an intellectual or ideological point. I'm now no longer affronted in the same way as I was when I see a clickbait headline I, I, after watching that. I know this sounds like quite exaggerated thing for just one comedy special on Netflix, but he is a very influential guy and he's, as I say in the piece, a kind of a counterculture made man. There's no doubting his position as someone who, what you would say broadly of the emancipatory left, you know, he's been an outspoken critic of racism. He he's he's he recently did charity gig for the people of Dayton, Ohio. So he's you know there, there's no questioning this guy, and if you were to question it, you're just going to look ridiculous, and that's the power of it. So anyway, I think I've said my piece on that, but um, I'll link to my review below. Uh, the other thing I want to to talk about, and it's a kind of in a similar vein to the to the wokeness, um, it's a piece in the Mail on Sunday by Douglas Murray, uh, and it's an excerpt from his new book, The Madness of Crowds, and it's basically on this sort of cult of religious, what he views as a religious cult of wokeness, um, that somehow what was once a kind of liberal tradition has now been co-opted. A very noble liberal tradition, you know, and, and political correctness, with the sort of mild version of it, he's, you know, he's kind of positive towards it. Just, if it's just the idea of being nice to people and, 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 and being considerate about the words you use and, 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 and the effect that words can have on individuals and, and making sure that the, the language and the way that we conduct our social discourse doesn't lead people to believe that uh, there's some kind of grading in terms of the rights of citizenship. I'm down with that too. In fact, I feel very passionately about that. And that was kind of Orwell's take on that whole thing as well, was that, you know, maybe we should just be a little bit more conscious about using certain words, you know. And it is in a very mild way, I can understand it from being Scottish. A very mild version. This is not a grand claim that Scotland is as oppressed as, you know, uh, former slave families, or whatever you know, whatever you want to say. It's of course I'm not making that point, but I do recognise all I'm saying from even just being British but Scottish. You can kind of recognise the ways that the the way that news is presented, the the language of headlines, all these sorts of things, the way that certain issues are discussed. The the rhetoric has an effect on sending you a message about where you know about whether or not you're part of the favoured citizenship. So I get all that. But he's talking about something different, and I think that it's. I think that the the more we can make a distinction between good manners and political correctness, the more we can have uh, some success in pushing back against it. Because the big tactic they have is saying, "Well, if you're against us, then you're against good manners, and you must be basically, you know, ideologically driven, and you don't even know it." <clears throat> so, I think yeah, it was Mail on Sunday. But this is the Mail Online version. Um, let me just... Okay, Douglas Murray. How did the world lose its marbles? A new dogma has turned beliefs that once seemed common sense into hate crimes. 
If you say the wrong thing, in quotes, you'll be thrown to the wolves, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so I'm just going to read it, and I'll do my usual thing of blabbering halfway through, and hopefully you'll know the difference. I'm sure you'll be able to tell the difference. <laughs> um, okay. We are going through a great mass derangement. In public and in private, people are behaving in ways that are increasingly irrational, feverish, herd-like, and unpleasant. <laughs> I can almost hear him say, and unpleasant. The news is filled with the consequences. Yet while we see the symptoms everywhere, we don't see the causes. Various explanations have been given, usually involving Donald Trump, Brexit, or both. But these explanations don't get to the root cause of what is happening. For beneath all the day-to-day -day madness over race, sex, sexuality, gender, and the rest, are much greater movements and much bigger events. Even the origin of this mass derangement is rarely acknowledged. This is the simple fact that we have been living through a period of more than a quarter of a century in which all our grand narratives about our existence have collapsed. So this is interesting that he talks about this, because that was basically the kind of way he ended up towards the end of his last book, The Strange Death of Europe. He, and, I, and I did a review at the time of it and, and focused on this particular, because I'm not really interested in the whole immigration thing and the technicalities and policy and all that, but I was very interested in him saying that one of the reasons why we're unable to have certain, you know, uh, common sense immigration management is because we're we're uncertain about who we are, and one of the reasons for that is that we've lost the confidence of our ethical compass, which was based on Christianity. And so, whether you agree with Christianity or not, the fact that we've lost that basis, which was the basis, is a cause for anxiety. Whether you think you're on, whether you're a sort of atheist optimist about uh, a secular foundation of morality or not you still have to acknowledge that we we've 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 wobbled because of a collapse of christian ethics at the core of the culture religion went first falling away from the 19th century onwards then over the past century the secular hopes held out by all political ideologies followed in the latter part of the 20th century we re-entered the postmodern era defined by its suspicion towards grand narratives However, nature abhors a vacuum. People in today's wealthy Western democracies could not simply remain the first people in recorded history to have no explanation for what we are doing here and no story to give life purpose. The question of what exactly we are meant to do now, other than get rich and have fun, that's so true, was going to have to be answered by something. The answer that has presented itself in recent years has been the, to live in a permanent state of outrage, to find meaning by waging constant war, constant war I think being the important phrase, constant war against anybody who seems to be on the wrong side of a question to which the answer has only just been altered. Right, so that... <clears throat> That is interesting. There's something that people don't talk about is that there is the, the woke culture because it's based on sort of moral absolutes, gives people that same kind of fundamentalist zeal. And give, and, and that fundamentalist zeal is, is it becomes a source of meaning which has been uh, robbed from most people given the collapse of more sophisticated ideas of uh, human ethics. The bewildering speed of this process has been principally caused by Silicon Valley giants, notably Google, Twitter, and Facebook. They have the power not to just direct, not 
not just to direct what most people in the world know, think or and say, but have a business model which has accurately been described as relying on finding, so this is a tricky line, relying on finding, quotes, customers ready to pay to modify someone else's behaviour. So that's an interesting quote there. I don't quite understand it, but I guess what it's saying is that what's rewarded on social media is preaching in a way like the the um the 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 algorithms and the structure of of the platforms themselves and the business models by which they run are fed by that kind of social peer pressure mechanism of finger wagging that's how i interpret that but today's wars of ideas are not random they are consistently being fought in a new and particular direction and that direction has a purpose that is vast. The purpose, unwitting in some, deliberate in others, is nothing less than to embed a new religion into our societies. Though the foundations had been laid over several decades, it is only since the financial crash of 2008 that there has been a march into the mainstream of ideas that were previously known solely on the obscurest fringes of academia. The interpretation of the world through the lens of social justice and identity group politics is probably the most audacious and comprehensive effort since the end of the Cold War at creating a new ideology. To date, social justice has run the furthest because it sounds, and in some versions is, attractive, right? So he's acknowledging that there's a mild version of just simple political awareness about correct word usage and how, how language affects people. Even the term is set up to be impossible to argue with. You're opposed to social justice. What do you want? Social injustice? Right. That's the tactic. That's the tactic right there, and it's infuriating. The attractions are obvious, after all. Why should a generation which can't accumulate capital have any great love for capitalism? And it isn't hard to work out why a generation who believe they may never own a home could be attracted to an ideological worldview which promises to sort out every inequality. The place where social justice finds its warriors is identity politics. This atomizes society into different interest groups according to sex or gender, race, sexual preference and more. It presumes that such characteristics are the main or only relevant attributes of their, ho of their holders and that they bring an added bonus. As the American writer Coleman Hughes has put it, and I've talked about him on this podcast before, it assumes there is a heightened moral knowledge that comes with being black or female or gay. It's why people start statements with speaking as a, as if that were to give them credibility, right? And this new religion is something that people, both living and dead, must be on the right side of. What I think Murray's missing here is a point I keep making, which is all that is annoying about identity politics, but it isn't really the damning thing you know, because people can always come, but well, don't you think identity is important? And of course I do in some sense. And I know that particularly being Scottish, it is important to me, my Scottish heritage. But what I don't think, and this is what I think the, the, the great value of the liberal tradition was to say, it through the process of your becoming equal in terms of your identities, whereas, you know, every identity gets an equal say, say if you're a Christian or or Muslim, or, you know, freedom of religion allows you to be Jewish, Muslim, Christian, and to, to enjoy the same rights, right? That you're, that you're, you're equal, that there's no preference for one religion over the other in society, right? But the consequences of that are not just 
the right to pursue whatever ritual you want in Christianity or, you know, whatever. The consequences of that are that the Constitution is then founded in, in Western democracies on an idea that not only are you free to live according to your own identity, but your identity is not determining of your rights. So there's a universalism as well as a particularism. So there's this symbiosis between... Uh, the freedom to have your particular identity and to pursue it according to self-expression and, and have that right. But the, the, that includes a kind of... I, I, the, the paradox there is that the, the universalism, pluralism, pluralism is based on a universalism. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. And, and, and the problem with identity politics is it completely violates that um, nuanced paradoxical symbiosis. So getting back to Murray's point about identity politics, which I mean, so I think I, I think that that's something that often is left out. What I've just said, but that that's why there are calls to pull down statues of historical figures viewed as being on the wrong side, and is why the past needs to be rewritten to to suit any interest group which you wish to champion. So yeah, his point is more than that. The the religious sort of dogmatic nature of this is is sort of fundamental to understanding it that. There's a sort of set of initiates, and if they voice and virtue signal according to certain key issues, then they are the in group. And if you in any way question it, you're in the out group, and as a consequence, you're defined as evil. So there's a very, so the so the absence of any a clear moral foundation to our society has allowed this very dogmatic ideological um, fundamentalism to creep in. And it's very difficult to argue with. And if you're on the wrong side of any one particular issue, uh, we'll be tied. Identity politics is where minority groups are encouraged to simultaneously atomize, organize, and go on the attack. Tied into this is something social justice warriors call intersectionality, the notion that there is a hierarchy of oppressed minorities and society should organise itself around correcting this. That's a very nice, elegant summary of intersectionality being, you know, because it is quite a difficult concept to grasp, but the, the idea is that there, there's this kind of matrix of, of, of oppression that can happen and, and the higher up the oppression hierarchy you are is the extent to which you are on a kind of nexus of those different kinds of oppression. And uh, yes, and the, and the whole idea is that we need to therefore rip down the whole hierarchy in order to, to challenge this. So it's, it's, it's a very subtle argument in a sense because it, the, the upshot is, is a kind of, we need to throw the whole thing out. We can't just retain, you know, that's why a liberal humanist tradition and John Stuart Mill would not be enough for these people. Today, intersectionality has broken out from the social science departments of universities, from which it originated, into the mainstream. It's now taken seriously by millennials and has become embedded via employment law through commitment to diversity in all corporations and governments. The speed at which social justice causes have taken over everyday life is staggering. Once obscure phrases such as LGBTQ, white privilege, the patriarchy and transphobia are suddenly heard everywhere, even though the, in the words of the mathematician Eric Weinstein, they are all made up about 20 minutes ago. The policing, the policing of these issues is an even more recent phenomenon. Researchers found that phrases like triggered and feeling unsafe only spiked in usage from 2013 onwards. That's true. There does seem to be 
something happened like even like four years ago it, it, things seemed to be uh completely so i'm i'm <laughs> i've got to be honest here i'm reading this on the mail online so I'm, I'm trying to read this very interesting essay by douglas murray and down the side i've got women's bums and boobs just glaring at me salma hayek posted a picture and I said, she's still quite hot man right uh <laughs> i can't help it i'm sorry i'm not you know i hate that shit but what can you do if it's staring you right in the face? It is as though, having worked out what it wanted, the new religion took a further half-decade to work out how to impose its credo on non-believers. But it has done so with frightening success. The maddening results can be seen on a daily basis. God knows that's true. And why a British it's why a British academic study found muscular, wealthy men are more attractive it's why a British ac academic study, which found muscular, wealthy men are more attractive, could be headlined by Newsweek magazine as, quote, men with muscles and money are more attractive to straight women and gay men, dash, showing gender roles aren't progressing. So they can't even just take a piece of empirical science without charging it with this ideological interpretation. It's why a previously completely unknown programmer at Google could be sacked for writing a memo suggesting some tech jobs appeal more to men than women. It is why the New York Times can run a piece by a black author with the title Can My Children Be Friends with White People? And it's why a piece about cycling deaths in London written by a woman was framed through the headline Roads are designed by men. Roads designed by men are killing women. Now, see, I think that last one, as absurd as it sounds, is the really devastating evidence of this, the nature of this ideology. And this is the danger of all ideologies, and it proves what Murray is saying most decisively. Because if you're saying that road infrastructure, that cycle deaths on roads are a gendered issue, and uh, and then you suddenly say, so you take any, you can take any issue, and then just say, oh, and here's my ready-made, uh, pre-packaged interpretation of this, then you know, and it's very difficult to do that with, say, like uh, school shootings or uh, terrorist attacks, it's very difficult to identify the ideology because the, the language and, and the nature of it is so charged that it, it, it's difficult to doubt and cast suspicion on the rhetoric because you're so charged with it. But when it comes down to fucking roads to, roads and, and cycle paths in London and you're interpreting that and you're sort of ready-made, pre-packaged, woke ideology, then you're really exposing yourself as absurd. And I think maybe that's the easiest tactic in pushing back against this stuff is always focusing on those most absurd versions of it, which highlight the pre-packaged nature of the, the ideology to such an extent because you can't avoid it. There's no way that you can't say that that was a ready-made answer tagged onto something random. Such rhetoric exacerbates existing divisions and creates new ones. For what purpose? Rather than showing how we can all get along better, the lessons of the last decade appear to be exacerbating a sense that in fact we aren't very good at living with each other. For most people, awareness of this new religion has become clear not so much by trial as by public error, exactly. But one thing that everybody has begun to sense in recent years is that a set of tripwires have been laid across the culture. It's a very good uh, metaphor. Among the first trip wires was anything to do with homosexuality. Now, Douglas Murray's gay, so that, that needs to be noted. In the latter half of the 20th century, there was a fight for gay equality and rightly, which rightly succeeded in reversing a terrible historic justice. Then, the war having been won, it didn't stop. Indeed, it began morphing. 
GLB, gay, lesbian, and bi, became LGB, so as not to diminish lesbians. Then a T for trans and a Q for queer, or questioning, got added. Then the movement behaved in victory as its opponents once did as oppressors. When the boot was on the other foot, something ugly happened. A decade ago, almost nobody was supportive of gay marriage. Even gay rights group Stonewall wasn't in favour. Now it's a central tenet of modern liberalism. Now that's really interesting. To fail the gay marriage test only years after almost everybody failed it is to put yourself beyond the pale. So that's, again, another proof of ideology that something which was not at all normal uh, only a few years before has now become such a hard, fixed determination of your moral worth. People may agree or disagree with gay marriage, but to shift mores so fast needs to be done with sensitivity and deep thought, yet we engage in neither. Other issues followed a similar pattern. Women's rights had also been steadily accumulated throughout the 20th century. They too appeared to be arriving at some sort of settlement. Then, just as the train appeared to be reaching its desired destination, it filled with steam again and went roaring off into the distance. What had been barely disputed until recently became a cause to destroy someone's life today. Whole careers were scattered and strewn as the train careered along its path. Careers like that of 70-year-old Nobel Prize-winning UCL professor Tim Hunt, God, I remember this one, were destroyed after one lame joke at a conference in South Korea about men and women following and falling in love in the lab. It's got to be noted, by the way, that, that that Tim Hunt joke that he made was he intended it to be self-deprecating. It wasn't saying that women couldn't work in the lab and they were too emotional. He was saying that buggers like me fall in love with them because we're, I think what he was, I think I interpret that he was saying that because I'm a geeky bloke, then having this like gorgeous, talented woman in the in workplace is like uh, I can't escape. You know, it's kind of you know he's he was. It was a self-deprecating joke about geeky science guys like him. What was the virtue of making relations between the sexes so fraught? Why, when women had broken through more glass ceilings than at any other time, did talk of the patriarchy seep out of feminist fringes into popular culture? In a similar fashion, the civil rights movement in America, which started to right the most appalling of all historical wrongs, looked like it was moving towards some hope-for resolution. Again, near the point of victory, everything soured. Just as things appeared better than ever before, the rhetoric started suggesting things had never been worse. Now he, I think he's getting to the, to the core of it when he says that just as things were getting you know, better than they'd ever been before, across all sorts of uh, metrics suddenly things were becoming more bitter and polarised. The most recent tripwire edition, and the most toxic of them all, is the trans issue. It affects the fewest number of people, but is nevertheless fraught, fought over with an almost une unequalled ferocity and rage. Women who have got on the wrong side of this issue, including notable feminists like Julie Bindle and Suzanne Moore, and Jen Marion Greer, for that matter, have been hounded by people who used to be men. Meanwhile, mothers and fathers who voice concerns about that their ten, year, 10 years ago would have been considered common sense have their fitness to be parents questioned. People who will not concede that men can be women and vice versa can amazingly now expect a knock on the door from the police, which has happened. Last September, a billboard that comprised the, defi the dictionary definition of women, noun, adult, female was taken down after someone complained it was a symbol that makes transgender people feel unsafe. 
Everyone knows that they will be called if their foot nicks against society's new tripwires. Bigot, homophobe, sexist, misogynist, racist, transphobe are for starters. To avoid these accusations, citizens must prove their commitment to fashionable causes. How might somebody demonstrate virtue in this new world? By being anti-racist, clearly. By being an ally to LGBT, obviously. By stressing how ardent your desire is to bring down the patriarchy. And this creates a situation where public avowals of loyalty to the system must be made regardless of whether it's needed. This is the paragraph I'm going to start again, because this is the paragraph that really stuck out for me. And this creates a situation where public avowals of loyalty to the system must be made regardless of whether it's needed. It's an extension of a problem in liberalism identified by the late political philosopher Kenneth Minogue as St. George in Retirement Syndrome. (laughs) After slaying the dragon, the warrior finds himself stalking the land looking for more glorious fights. Eventually, after tiring himself out in pursuit of ever smaller dragons, he may eventually be found swinging his sword at thin air, imagining dragons. Oh, that's absolutely fucking spot on. That's woke culture summed up, is that we, the, we, we've, we've reached a stage where we've genuinely triumphed and won the civil rights battle. We won the counterculture, take, took over, but the, the existential crisis of success and prosperity and equality is too much for these uh, self-aggrandizing warriors to, to take because they now no longer have a meaning. And so in that, with that collapse of religion and the success of civil rights, there, there is no religious battle to be had, and so everyone needs a new jihad. Today, our public life is dense with people de- desperate to slay imagined dragons. And all the big issues, an increasing number of people, with the law on their side, now pretend that all questions have been resolved, all answers agreed, with on, agreed upon, and that no good person can have any doubts. The case is very much otherwise. Each of these issues is infinitely more complex and unstable than our societies admit. Yet, with while the endless contradictions, fabrications and fantasies within each are visible, identifying them is not just discouraged, but policed. And so we are asked to agree to things which we cannot believe, and told not to object to things which most people to which most people object, such as giving children drugs to stop them going through puberty, or allowing men to self-identify as female to use female toilets. The pain that comes from being expected to remain silent on important matters and perform impossible leaps on others is tremendous, not least because the problems are so evident. So he's going even further here and he's pointing out that this is becoming the, the part of the intolerable nature of this age we're going through is that there's a psychic strain and i think i think even the 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 studies on totalitarianism have said that that the part of like for instance the soviet union's power was to make you doubt the most common sense things a kind of gaslighting and so that that kind of cultural gaslighting that we're going through now is having a strain on all of us so it's contributing to the fraught dialogue it's it's kind of a um, <clears throat> what's the what's the phrase? Uh, self-perpetuating motion. You know that be, the the more fraught the, and polarized things become, the the less we're able to like just say common sense things without being cast. Uh, you know, without having aspersions cast upon us, and then that very feeling of not being able to express common sense opinions becomes makes that very whole process even more fraught. So it's this kind of uh, self-fulfilling thing that's just this horrifying. And, and, and I've definitely felt that. I've absolutely felt that, that over the last three or four years, don't want to have anything to do with social media, really. I mean, I'm on Instagram because I'm a whore, as I've said before. But 
I don't want to get I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to have discussions and politics with people. I just don't want to go there because it's too much of a psychic strain now. And I don't listen to the news. I mean, I'll, I'll I have strategies for making sure that I'm up to date on certain things, but I don't watch official news programs. I, I try I can't really read newspapers anymore as much as I tried. And maybe I'll go through periods of it, but eventually I just it become the strain of being involved in these kind of culture wars is just exhausting, and it really has like a physical, uh, psychophysical effect on you. It can really affect your mood. <clears throat> as anyone who's lived under totalitarianism, this is Murray again. As anyone who has lived under totalitarianism can attest, there is something demeaning and eventually soul-destroying about being expected to go along with claims you do not believe to be true. If the belief is that all people should be regarded as having equal value and be accorded equal dignity, then that may all be all well and good. But if you're asked to believe that there are no differences between men and women, racism and anti-racism, racism, homosexual and heterosexuality, then there, then there is, then this will, then this will drive you to distraction. That distraction is something we're in the middle of and something we must try to find our way out from. If we fail, the, di the direction of travel is clear. We face not just a future of ever greater atomization, rage and violence, but a future in which the possibility of a backlash against all rights advances, including the good ones, grows more likely. I'm going to read that sentence again. We face not just a future of ever greater atomization, rage and violence, but a future in which the possibility of a backlash against all rights advances, including the good ones, grows more likely. All rights advances. Okay, right. No, so it's uh, advances as a noun rather than a verb. Is that right? Yeah. A future in which racism is responded to with racism. Denigration based on gender is responded to with denigration based on gender at some stage of humil uh, some stage of humiliation there is simply no reason for majority groups not to retaliate with the exact same weapons that have worked so well on themselves right so that he's taught he that's that's just an except so presumably a large part of his book is going to talk about the threat of you know say like white supremacist violence or that kind of identity politics being turned back on on the woke identity politics so sorry i'm just eating a bit of ice there um yeah i thought this is brilliant i'm really looking forward to murray's book i'll review it on my website um yeah, I don't really know any, if I can say any more on that, I think. But I think the whole uh, St. George and retirement syndrome, is ex it, that's exactly... I, I could never have found the phrasing for it in that way, but that, that's exactly what I've always felt about a lot of this stuff. And, and, and having been through it myself to some extent when I was a bit younger, my desire to be fighting the good fight on the left came from an anxiety about a sense of meaning in my own life that it was uh, I identified with people like Orwell and and that and that sort of thing in the, the civil rights movement and grew up around its imagery. So there was an investment in hoping it to be true, that hoping that there would be the next uh, frontier of social justice which I could fight. But if you if you're resorting to equivocations equ equivalences between uh, trans 
children and Jim Crow laws. If you're saying that the right for children to decide their own gender at the age of seven is the same as the right for for people not to live in the segregated uh, South, then you're really you're 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 clutching. You know, you're really desperate. It's a, it's a form of desperation which, as Murray says, assaults common sense so much and has created uh, such a paranoid culture of which side of each discussion you're on and it becomes self-perpetuating to such a degree that it's it's all really dangerous that this 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 to make these um grand sweeping equivalences between genuine civil rights and just all these little piddling versions of civil rights it has consequences and we're living with the consequences now and there some of them are uh, legal uh, of course, all of them are political, but many of them are becoming psychic consequences. Right, I think I'll probably leave it there because my voice is tiring out, but thanks for listening and I'll speak to you next.